0: So in our uh, series throughout Luke, this week was actually focused primarily on demon possession. So I thought that wouldn't be the best way to go for our Christmas morning sermon. Uh, But that will be uh, Josh's or Adam's task next week. Uh, But my heart is just so blessed to be here this morning with you. The day before the culmination of our joy in Christ, our, our celebration of Jesus. What joy we have in Christ. It's not temporary, it's not manufactured, it's not something that we have to create, but it's true and lasting joy that we have in Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you've been delighting in Christ, you've been treasuring him this Advent season, and I just hope this sermon adds fuel to that fire. But if you're here this morning and your savoring of Jesus is kind of dry or it's kind of stale, Maybe you've celebrated other things here. Maybe you don't even know Jesus, or or you don't care to know him, and you just came here because someone invited you. Looking at you, Sotos. I just want to say we're so glad you're here, and I hope that today's message will help you see that he is worthy to be treasured, not just for this season, but every day of our lives, and all into eternity. So let's pray. Dear God, we need your help. We need your help, Lord. I pray that your spirit would fill our hearts, fill this room, uh, that you would receive the glory that you are due. As we hear these words, uh, precious names and titles uh, throughout the Bible, God, we just pray that uh, our hearts will be moved to greater affection to you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So today we're going to draw our attention to two grand titles, two grand names in the Bible. And given the characteristics of the animals these titles represent, they seem to be exact opposites. But these names, they're packed with meaning and significance. One title that's given is the lion, the lion of Judah. Children, if I asked you to do your best lion impersonation, what would I get? Maybe a little roar? Yeah, yeah. Not, not, not feeling fierce this morning. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> a lion is mighty. A lion is strong. In the Proverbs, they speak of lions. It says, the lion, which is the mightiest among beasts, and does not turn back before any. He is powerful. He doesn't back away from a fight. But children, what if I asked you to impersonate a lamb? Yeah, we might get some baas and bleeps, and but I don't think any of you would pick a lamb in a fight, right? A lamb is meek and gentle, very different from a lion. In the Old Testament, an unblemished lamb was used as a sacrifice. The blood of the lamb was used as a covering for human sin. An innocent lamb would take the place of the one who had done wrong because the penalty of sin was death. And so the other title that we're going to be looking at this morning, the other name that we're going to be looking at is the Lamb of God. And as different as a lion and a lamb are. We're going to see that these two titles, these two names are depicted in two wonderful visions. The first vision, we're going to start near the beginning. The first book of the Bible, Genesis 49. If you have a Bible, there's a copy back there, but it's on page 42. You may remember the story of Joseph in the Bible. Joseph was the favorite son of his father, Jacob. And he's most known for having been given a coat of many colors from his dad. And as if his brothers were not jealous enough of him for receiving this awesome multicolored coat, on top of this, he had dreams that one day all his brothers symbolically would, would bow down before him. His brothers didn't appreciate this that much. And so they're motivated by jealousy in their sin. They go to kill their brother. But at the last minute, they decide to sell him as a slave. And instead, they tell their father that he had been killed by a wild animal. And so Joseph is then taken to Egypt as a slave. And he's in prison. But his past dreams of his brothers, these ones where they were bowing down to him, eventually they become true. And through God's providence, Joseph rises up the ranks and eventually he would become second in command, only behind Pharaoh himself. He's finally reconnected to his family after many years. And Jacob, Joseph's father, is reunited with his son that he had believed to have been dead. For about 11 years he thought he was dead. He's reunited with him. And so Jacob is reaching the end of his life Before he dies, he wants to gather all his children one last time so that he can bless them. Imagine a toast at a graduation or a wedding. But even more heartfelt, because this may be these fathers' last words to his children. We see in Genesis 49 verses 1 and 2, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Jacob, knowing their past actions, is, he's going to tell his sons the, their future destinies. He's going to tell them how their descendants, the eventual twelve tribes of Israel, would prosper in the future. And I want you to think of these things. They are not so much the sayings of a dying saint, but they are in, the inspired prophecies of a prophet. These things are not guesses. They will actually come to fruition. And he would start by blessing the oldest and he would go down the line to the youngest. And after saying a few unflattering things about his first few children, he spends quite a bit of time on one of his sons, Judah. This brings us to our first wonderful vision we see in verse 8. If his other brother's blessings left things to be desired, Judah's blessing... Is something that every child would want to hear. He will outshine his brothers in importance. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is going to be superior to his brothers. Just like his brothers had bowed down to Joseph, now they will bow down to Judah. He'll have dominion over them. These enemies will be utterly defeated. They'll be victorious in war. His hand will be on their neck. He has them by the throat. We see this come to fruition later in history when when Judah would be the tribe that would lead all the other tribes to the wilderness. They would be great in number. They'd have victory taking the land that God gave them over the Canaanites. The prophecy continues on in verse 9. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouches a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? He calls Judah a lion cub. Think of a youthful lion lion growing into his mane, only to be fierce as an adult. Judah will be like the lion who snagged its prey. It's, It's crouched ready to strike, not one to be messed with. The lion is also a symbol of royalty. Judah shall be a great royal tribe. It's continued in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This scepter and staff are signs of royalty. And these symbols of rule, they will never depart from Judah. This means that his royal reign is forever. His rule will prosper so much, in fact, that he will receive as tribute all the loyalty, all the obedience of the peoples. Nations will submit to his rule. This should clue us into something here. How does someone reign forever? I mean, fathers can have some high hopes for their kids and aspirations for their kids, but is this an exaggeration on Jacob's part? No, he's not speaking with hyperbole. There has to be something more to this prophecy of the Lion of Judah. We'll talk more about this in a bit. Jacob's prophecy of his son Judah ends by him speaking of his future riches and the wealth that he will acquire. A plentiful grape harvest was a common metaphor for wealth during these times. So Judah will bind his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. His crops of grapes will be so extravagant that instead of keeping his donkey away from the goods of his vineyard, there'll be so much excess that even donkey, their donkeys will eat from the choicest of vines. This is like making so much money at work that you decide to feed your pet steak. So much abundance that their animals, they eat the finest of their crops. have so much, he says, that they'll wash their clothes in wine. You may have seen a meme online or a depiction in a movie with a really wealthy person using money to wipe away their sweat or, or to blow their nose and use it as a tissue. This is the richness that Judah will possess. It doesn't make sense to wash your clothes in wine, but hey, Judah can. He's that, he's that prosperous. And the wine would be so rich it would, it would darken his eyes and his teeth would glisten whiter than milk amidst his wine-stained lips. (laughs) It's obvious that the Lion of Judah will be prominent. Imagine if these things were said about you and your legacy. How can this scepter never depart from Judah, though? That's the question we're left with. How can he have the obedience of all the peoples? How can all this tribute and glory come to him? It seems too good to be true. This prophecy requires something beyond human capabilities. It requires a messianic fulfillment. Faithful Israel had long waited for one who would come. One who would be their anointed one. Their Messiah who would liberate this people. But this was in an earthly sense. They wanted to be liberated from Roman oppression. But their hopes and their aspirations were too small. They wanted an earthly king to rule over him. But this eternal kingdom, this, this is beyond their imagination. Just as we read earlier in Matthew, a descendant would come from the line of Judah. One of Judah's ancestors would take this name, this, this grand title, Lion of Judah, and his reign would be greater than we could ever imagine. And this brings us to our second wonderful vision. We're going to see this one in Revelations 5. If our first vision is from the beginning in Genesis... The first book of the Bible and this vision is at the end. The last book of the Bible, Revelation. If you want to join with me in Revelation 5, it's on page 1030. The Apostle John is stranded on the island of Patmos. And he receives our second vision, this heavenly vision from God. This vision portrays the future working out of God's plan at the end of history. But in this vision of heaven there is a dilemma. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? So God, picture this y'all, God Almighty, ruler of heaven and earth, is seated on his throne. He's holding up a scroll and This scroll had writing within and on its back. It's sealed with seven seals. It was common in ancient times to keep documents in a scroll. And and the writing on the back would serve as a summary, the cliff notes, to what was inside that scroll. And it resembled a a, a Roman will or a contract deed. And their practice was to seal these scrolls multiple times. And the more important the contents of the scroll, the more seals it would have. (coughs) And the only person who is authorized to open this scroll and to break the seals would be the person it was intended for, the one that would receive that inheritance. And so the dilemma we find in this vision of heaven is that the inheritance of the scroll is so wonderful, it's so great that no one is worthy to receive it. And so a mighty angel is crying out for takers, is there anyone, is there anyone worthy to open it? And it turns out no one was worthy. We see in verse 3. And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And, And John, seeing this heavenly vision, says he began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. No one in the totality of existence, no angelic creature above or below, no one in God's creation is worthy to open this scroll like Excalibur, waiting to be pulled from the stone, or or Thor's hammer, unable to be lifted, except by one who is worthy. Yet there is no one. John sees this, and he, he fears for the church's hope. He begins to weep, because God's plans remain unfulfilled. It says, he wept loudly. When no one worthy to open the scroll he grieved that God's promises would not come to be. His scroll contained God's purposes for all of history. But no one is worthy to break the seals. Thankfully, this was about to change. In verse 5, we read, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. One of the elders, representative of the church, and we mean church, not a building, but a people, all of God's people, says weep no more because the one worthy is here. And who is it? It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And immediately John sees this vision someone emerges on the scene and and here comes this lion in all its glory. But this lion, this mighty lion of Judah is not portrayed as a lion, but as a tiny lamb. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. This lamb may look strange to us, but its seven horns are meant to symbolize its perfect power. Seven, just as there were that many seals on the scroll, seven was the number of perfection and completion And the horn of an animal represented, it was a symbol of strength and power. This lamb, though it is small, it's perfection. It has all power and might. And the eyes are meant to symbolize his watchful and wise providence of the church. There's nothing beyond his perfect vision, his perfect wisdom. He's full of the Spirit in all a totality. Seven spirits showing that he has received the Holy Spirit without measure. This lamb, this one called the Lion of Judah, he is all perfection, nothing but light, nothing but life and power and wisdom. He's the only one worthy to rule the universe, the one with the perfect power to execute the will of God and the perfect wisdom to reign forever. And I want you to notice beyond these other worldly features of this lamb, all these horns and eyes, I want you to see the most wonderful thing about it is that it is standing in verse 6 as though it had been slain. This lamb, this precious, powerful lamb, in all its glorious attributes, did not appear as an image of refinement. Instead, it appeared with its its scars, its, its past death wounds. There's one image that sticks to you, sticks with you from today. I want it to be this lamb who had been slain. This lamb had faced death. This lamb had overcome the brutality of murder and yet stands victorious before angels as the only one worthy in all of creation. This lamb had all the power and wisdom to rule in might as an earthly king. All honor and glory is due Him, but this Lamb would not seize all that pleasure that this world has to offer. This Lamb would humble Himself. Even to the point of death, He would go to the cross and willingly give up His life like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus is both the Lion and the Lamb. He is worthy of both these titles. As He went to the cross, Jesus was mistreated and reviled. They beat him. They spit on him. They mocked him. And through all of this, how did he respond? We read, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb To the slaughter, Jesus went to the cross. With all humility, he laid down his life. He did not resist, he did not fight back. And this was not due to weakness. People confuse this all the time. They think they see Jesus, they see godliness, and they they attribute it as weakness. That we wouldn't insist on using all that power. But it was out of his strength that he did not resist. He knew why he had come to earth. He knew he was on a rescue mission. Herein lies the paradox of God's wisdom. Victory is found not as we might think in being mighty in all its strength, but in the Lamb being slain, ransoming a people by his blood. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And because he was slain, this is what makes him worthy alone. He alone has conquered death. He alone can break the seals. His past victories of the powers of darkness entitles him as the one true king. His rule will never end. The scepter will never leave him. And riches forevermore are to be only found in him. Brothers and sisters, he he takes the scroll. The Lamb takes the scroll in verse 7. And just listen to this. This heavenly vision, this exaltation. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads of thousands of thousands, fell down and worshipped angels and heavenly beings that if we could see them today we would cower in fear and awe at their glory and yet they bow down and cry out to the lamb who was slain this universal chorus of creation sings his praises angels form the outer circle innumerable angels in the church his people the object of his redemption forms the inner circle nearest to the throne all pouring out incense, playing their harps, worshiping him in prayer. What an amazing, beautiful sight. Heaven and earth filled with universal joy and thanksgiving upon this simple transaction of the lamb taking the scroll. Jesus is the object of their most profound adoration. And if there's one point of application from today, one thing we can leave with today It's that he is worthy of your most profound adoration as well. This is the end game. This is the culmination of history. The unfolding of the universe all comes down to this. Universal praise for the Lamb of God. This is why God took on flesh. This is why he was born a baby in Bethlehem. And we see his plan in verses 9 and 10. We just heard. And they sang a new song. And they cried out, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. By your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Every one of us in Christ. All peoples. From every tribe, nation and tongue. He has purchased for himself. We were once dead in our sins before a holy God. No matter how much we tried or how much good we did, it didn't matter. Because of our sin, we can never attain a right standing before God. No matter what you do apart from Christ, you will never attain a right standing before God. Children, you can never be good enough to be right with God. And humanity, we We worship ourselves. We we made false gods to worship. But God, in His mercy, sent His Son, the Lamb of God, to die on our behalf so that everyone who would repent and believe and put their trust and faith in Him and what He has done, they will sing this new song. They will be with God, not because they are worthy, but because He is worthy. And they've put their trust in Him. And all who trust in Him, All that he has done now, we have access to God. We will reign with him, living in his perfect power. We were slaves to sin, but he's liberated us. This is why we celebrate Christmas with all our hearts. In Jesus, we have the greatest gift that we could ever receive. This is not just something we say. It's true. We are made right with God. No matter our past, no matter our failures, through Christ we are reconciled to God. Christians can sing joy to the world because He has not chosen to enact strict justice upon us for our sins, but He has shown grace and mercy through the Redeemer. This meek lamb, this mighty lion, one in the same, this one whom innumerable angels bow down before in worship, He's worthy to receive power Riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're not telling you that, that we're, you have to be like us and have it all together. We certainly don't have it all together. But we know the one who does. Every person here in Christ, we were destined to hell for our sins before a holy God who created us and gave us life. But Jesus has suffered the wounds we deserved, the wounds of death, and he rose again, ransoming us as his people, dying in our place so that we now stand as children of God, adopted into his family. And this is only because of his lavish grace. Nothing we did. If you have questions this morning, or or you want to know what it is to follow of Christ, it would be our joy, it would be my joy to talk to you after the service about your faith journey. If you don't worship him this morning in your heart, if you don't know his grace, it can be yours. You can be right with God through this lamb, through this lion, through this atoning work of Christ. Turn from your sins. Trust in him and his salvation. He promises not to reject any who would humble themselves and come to him. The gifts we get tomorrow, the gifts we unwrap, they will fade. The things we're so stressed and worked up about and worried about right now, things that consume us, they're just a drop of water compared to the ocean of eternity. Life is a vapor. We don't have assurance of tomorrow, but He will reign forever. Don't go another Christmas without knowing the one who made you. Don't go another Christmas without trusting in his provision. Christian, don't go another Christmas without giving him the glory that he deserves in your life. The lion is worthy to open the scroll because he is conquered. The Old Testament promise of a conquering lion is fulfilled in the New Testament reality of the Lamb who was slain. The God who possesses all power is the same God who is infinitely compassionate and gracious. Amen. Behold the Lion of Judah who will reign forever from whom the scepter will never depart. Everlasting dominion is His for all of eternity. And behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is worthy. Let's pray.